I was at a romance conference and they asked me to be on a panel that HBO was filming and it had a nice audience to it of women sitting there with their bags and things. And sitting next to me was this reporter and I'm not very big. He wasn't very big. He's kind of flirting with me before the thing in this patronizing kind of way of, oh, aren't you cute kind of thing. This is mid-80s, I guess. And the HBO asked him to tell about Romance World. They asked him to tell about the Romance World. So this man starts telling everybody how uh, the romance novels are worthless as liter literature and they're just terrible they're horrible and i'm sitting there beside him and i'm looking at the audience and these women are to the point of tears they're just here they've come to this conference all over the u.s and this man's putting them down and so this man segues into he says and then there's money money you have to understand that publishing has to do with money money you women need to understand that so that's when I stepped in and I just, I said, you can put us down about what we write all you want to, but you don't put us down about the money because we are 40% of the publishing industry. If we women boycotted the publishing industry, it would collapse. It is because of us that your so-called great literature can be published and put out there because it doesn't make the money to cover the shipping on it. And I, it was so wonderful to see these women in the audience perk up and, and smile. And I said, the people who have the power are these women here in this audience who throw those books in their grocery carts. That was the voice of Jude Devereaux. <laughs> uh, I, it, I, she formed me. Right, Both I was I was a piece of clay romance reader, and Jude Devereaux made me into who I was today. Mm -hmm. This was a, a like an out of body experience, absolutely for me. Like I couldn't believe when I emailed her and said, "Do you want to be on Beta Mates?" That she yeah. emailed me like immediately back and was like, "Yeah, of course I want to be on Beta Mates." And now I just feel like this was one of those moments that like I will remember forever. Uh, 100%. It was amazing. So here's a piece of information. We recorded this in November, everyone. So obviously, like uh, many of these conversations, you're hearing it out of time. Um, but I do want to say that I was re-listening to it today and I was thinking to myself, there was there is some sort of like perfect perfection that comes with the fact that I we interviewed and had a conversation with Jude Devereaux while I was in my childhood bedroom. That's where right. Jude Devereaux where you read so many of her books. Sculpted me. <laughs> I mean, it now thinking back, like it's so bizarre to me. I was yeah. not. It was Thanksgiving weekend. I was in my childhood bedroom and we talked to Jude Devereaux. And yeah. Yeah. This is Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And Jude Devereaux was my first romance novel, which you'll hear me tell her right at the beginning of this episode. So without further ado, here's Jude Devereaux. Jude Devereaux on Faded Mates. It's season four and we're so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, you're welcome. So, confession, my <laughs> first romance novel ever was The Black Lion. You always remember your first. <laughs> and I would not be where I am without The Black Lion and oh, nice. all the Montgomerys and all the Taggarts. Yeah. And Jen, too, is an early. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, it's actually a little embarrassing. I'm kind of fangirling. I'm trying to be calm, though, everybody. <laughs> um, one of the questions, Juve, that we really love to ask people is how they became a romance reader and then a romance writer. So, I mean, you were, you know, back in the back in the day, like, what were you reading? Through all through uh, elementary school, I have a passion for uh, uh, biographies. I pretty much read everything in my little high elementary school library on biographies. And uh, then <laughs> uh, I picked up a book in a bookstore um with uh, Catherine Woodweese, a big fat thing, and I went home and I read it, stayed up all night reading it. <laughs> Do you remember which one it was, Jude? It was the f- first one. The Flame and the Flower. That's it. And I read the whole thing in one sitting, and and then, because the thing's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the next morning, I hadn't had any sleep, and I thought, oh, that book is worthless. It's absolutely horrible. Has no uh, literary merit at all. Oh, I'm never going to read a thing like that again. And then <laughs> I picked it up and read it the second time. Great <laughs> three. Through in like 48 hours, I read that book two times. Times and after that, I kind of put my mind into thinking, "Hey, you can write books about women. You can write books that have uh, sex in, in them, and books about love." And I had an idea for a book, and I wrote it, and had my next. I still I write everything by hand. Still do. Wow. Um, I paid my next door neighbor's teenage daughter to type it for me. And <laughs> it, I did it off. It was all curled paper and, and had uh, food stains on it. And, and I it off. And they wrote back and said, Could we please publish your book? Send you a bunch of money. Would you write us, write some more books for us? And I said, Amazing. Yeah. So, where can you talk to us a little bit about your life at that point? Where, where were you in the world? One location. And also, what I mean, did you have children? Were you to what, a jo- another you job? Young? Right. What, yeah. I was teaching uh, elementary school, uh, fifth grade at San- in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was married at the time. And um, the next, the day after I received that letter saying, Can we publish your book? I went to the them and I quit my job and <gasps> that's amazing. Started uh, my second book. Yeah. Amazing. And so that was a, so, and was your first, so your first book became your first Avon title. Yes. The Enchanted right. Land, right? Yeah. And who was your editor at that point? That was very early. I you remember the first one. I can't remember who the first one was. It wasn't. I ended up um, Kate Duffy mm-hmm. became my. She is fabulous, wonderful, super. Really loved her. Uh, I was taken over by Kate. What year was that? Was that that was the late seventies, right? Yes, I came out. I think it came out in uh, December seventy nine. Okay. Oh, so almost 1980. And at that point, you know, it's early in the genre. And the, so are what does it feel like at that point to be writing romance? Were a lot of people reading it around you? Did you feel like you were on the edge of 
you know, something was happening in publishing or was it just sort of you were writing your books and that was that? That was it. That was it. Um, but one thing I had everybody who it was Santa Fe is an odd place. It's uh, full of artists. It's full of writers. And everybody I knew was screaming at me that I'd done it all wrong. <laughs> oh, and I bet. House, you're supposed to get an agent and then do it through them. And one woman was screaming really angry at me that I was supposed to pay someone to publish the book, not the other way around. What? So, like, I didn't know anything, anything at all about it. I mean, so how did you know who to send your manuscript off to? Was it just like a slush pile? You just to the bookstore and I looked and I thought, oh, they have the prettiest covers, Avon. (laughs) A dress out of the inside of the book and just packed it up. And this was like four or five inches thick and and mailed it to them. Amazing, because they had pretty covers. Sure. Well, well, I mean, that's as good a reason as that. That feels like publishing has not changed. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the authors we've spoken to so far started out with category, but you were always writing single title, right? So you never wrote category romance. So was that just like luck because you were there early or was, is that something you were offered and you just weren't interested? You mean like, uh, what do you mean, category? Like, like Harlequin romances, or you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know until years later. I was totally naive about it. I didn't know anything. Um, I had just read Kathleen Woody Weiss. I think that was the only one I'd read. And she was with Avon, and that's all. I sent it to them. So at what point did you realize there was this kind of big world of romance out there? I mean, obviously, you're publishing with Avon. They're publishing other romance novelists. Are you finding community of romance novelists at any point here? No, never did. They signed me. uh, Pocketbooks took over my life. And (laughs) they assigned me a publicist. And the publicist called me and said, "Uh, we want you to come to New York. We want to meet you. And I was terrified. I was a little homegirl, um, nobody. <laughs> How could I go to big New York City? And I said, and she said, we want you here next week. And I said, <laughs> sure. She said, cancel everything. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, Joan, I don't have time to make myself some new clothes and I don't have any new uh, New York clothes. <laughs> and there's a silence on the phone because at that time I, I had made all my own clothes. That's I didn't know about going to a store and buying them. That's how country I was. So she said, I should not, she said, dude, how much money did you make last year? And I told her, and she said, you can go out and buy yourself some JD clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's Joan Shulafer. And, uh So I did. I was horrified at how much they cost. Fabric <laughs> and thread. So I went to New York and got off the plane. And I stood there and I said, oh, my God, this is a city full of people just like me who are weird and strange and don't belong. I never fit into anything in my whole life. And I said, this whole city's full of And I fit right in, always have. I lived in New York for uh, many, many, many years. Yeah. 
Wow. Oh, that's such a, oh, that's well, a dude, I mean, I, I was a weird kid who moved to New York city too. I don't usually, yeah, I'm not usually in my childhood bedroom. I'm usually <laughs> in my home in Brooklyn. So that's such yeah, a nice, that feels it's, really real. <laughs> yeah. I just fit in with them. Yeah. So you get there. So you get to the publishing house. And I mean, at this point, do, do you remember when this was, are you able to sort of, was it a specific Probably book? Like, 82, 83, something like that. I'd been, I had been writing for about four years when they um, called you Joan, Joan Schulhofer on me and she's a terror. She still is (laughs) (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) Um, so are you, so at this point you get there and, and, and it's, what is romance like at this point? I mean, because that's really where we start as readers, we start to see just the whole genre taking off in every direction. Yeah. I was different from them. I had uh, a big problem. Uh, I had everybody was screaming at me, get an agent. And I got an agent. One of the worst things ever happened to me. And he uh, sold me immediately made contracts with me, signing them, not me, to three different publishing houses. And I was write three books a year under three different pen names. This is all without my consent. Oh, my gosh. And I was really upset about, as you imagine, I said, I cannot write more than two a year because I still, to this day, write 12, 14 hours a day. That was a big problem. So did that happen? Did you write under multiple pen names? I did. I did. I made publishing history. I'm proud to say, proud of myself. Tell us. Yeah. What well, are you gonna? Can you reveal those names to us? Or are they? <laughs> I can't even. I don't want to remember his name. Uh, the agent. What I had to do, I told him. I said, "You need to go to the publishers of these three publishing houses and get me out of this contract. I want to be with Pocketbooks. They're the biggest company. I want. To, I want with them." And uh, he said. No, no, writers do not talk to publishers. That's it. Uh, it's you're beneath, you talk only to editors. Uh, so what I did, I fired him and I went <laughs> good, to American good idea. Booksellers Association and went to the head of, uh, it was Richard, Richard Gallon Books is one of them he'd sold me to. And I said, uh, if I can get pocketbooks to buy my contract from you that the agent had signed, I had not. And the agent, will you sell it? And he said, yeah, sure. I don't care. <laughs> care. And he said, I'm going into porno anyway. Huh. Uh, he was closing and going into porno. So he was happy. And then the other one was um, the man who was the publisher of Avon Books. And I said, the same thing. Would you sell to pocket? And he said, I have Rosemary Rogers. Why would I possibly want you? Oh, <laughs> I said, wow, cool, <laughs> great. So I was out there. So then I went to, flew to New York, and I had a meeting, a lunch meeting with Ron Bush, who's the head of Pocket Books. And New York City used to, I don't think they do. New York Magazine had a contest of the ten meanest man men in all of New York City. <laughs> Ron made the list every year. Ah. He was a really nasty uh, person. So I had a meeting with him. He drank, never ate a bite, drank uh, an entire glass of whiskey, oh. called me every filthy name on the face of the earth. Uh, they, and I shouldn't say this, but I mean, compared to my mother, he was a sweetheart. <laughs> so I was completely, didn't bother me in the least. And I just kept three and a half hours, I said, are you going to buy me? 
are you going to buy me? Are you going to buy me? Just, and he would say, oh, you're a, and calling me filthy names. Uh, and finally he said, yeah, you're really ambitious. <laughs> so he bought my books. Uh, he bought my two contracts from them. And Publishers Weekly wrote a half a page about it that had never been done before, that a publishers would buy contracts from others. And he bought them. Amazing. That is an amazing story. Wow. But I didn't have an agent for 30 some years after that, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I now have an agent uh, <laughs> who are dearly loved. Yeah. So Pocket buys your contracts from everywhere. At this point, so at this point, Avon has published some of your books Black Lion, Enchanted Land. And then you moved over to Pocket. Yeah. And you brought the Montgomery's with you, which is another yeah. thing that's not common always, like being able to bring your exactly. families well, with you. We had a little talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're my people. You can't keep them. Nobody else can write about them. So what good is it to you? And I said, if I write about the Montgomery's over pocketbooks, it will still sell. At it your will still house. sell. So it of even. Sure. Your advantage to not try to keep my characters. Sure. So, okay, so you head over to Pocket, and at this point, Pocket is really building a big historical arm, right? Because this is where, um, I mean, there are lots of other writers writing over at Pocket. And so at what point do you feel, is there a moment in all of this where you think to yourself, like, oh, romance as a genre is happening? Um, Like, we're changing publishing no no you have to understand at the time every press release vilified us we were all housewives always housewives um multi-millionaire housewives and they made fun of us they laughed at us they sent reporters to us to uh put us down and say nasty things about us Mm -hmm. and i can tell you Kind of a funny story about that. Please. I was at a romance conference and they asked me to be on a panel that HBO was filming and it had a nice audience to it of women sitting there with their bags and things. And sitting next to me was this reporter and I'm not very big. He wasn't very big. He's kind of flirting with me before the thing in this patronizing kind of way of, oh, aren't you cute kind of thing. This is mid-80s, I guess. And the HBO asked him to tell about Romance World. They asked him to tell about the Romance World. So this man starts telling everybody how uh, the romance novels are worthless as literature and they're just terrible, they're horrible. And I'm sitting there beside him and I'm looking at the audience and these women are to the point of tears they're just here they've come to this conference yeah a safe space all over the u.s and this man's putting them down and so this man segues into he says and then there's money money you have to understand that publishing has to do with money money you women need to understand that (laughs) like we're morons so that's when i (laughs) stepped in and i just i said um you can put us down about what we write all you want to, but you don't put us down about the money because we are 40% of the publishing industry. Yeah. If we women boycotted the publishing industry, it would collapse. It is because of us that your so-called great literature 
can be published and put out there because it doesn't make the money to cover the shipping on it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, it was so wonderful to see these women in the audience perk up and, and smile. And I said, the people who have the power are these women here in this audience who throw those books in their grocery carts. I said, they're the ones who are keeping your literature alive and, and selling it. And this man got so angry at me. And HBO never published, never printed any of it, never showed Well, it, it wasn't the story they wanted to tell. It wasn't their narrative. This week's episode of Faded Mates is brought to you by Avon Books, publisher of The Bride Goes Rogue by Joanna Shoup. Okay, listen, I love this setup a whole lot. Everybody at Faded Mates knows that we are avowed Joanna Shoup fans here. Um, the setup of this book is that the heroine, Catherine Delafield, has had an arranged engagement to this, like, tycoon, Preston Clark, for years, for, like, a long, I long love time. this. I love and it already. the issue is that Preston is like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> So he's just ignoring it, this arranged engagement. <laughs> but Catherine, like, shows up at his house and is like, it is time. We are getting married. Like, when is the wedding? Let's get started. And he's like, no, I'm not. We're not doing this. So she's like, fine, <laughs> then I'm going to go. And I deserve to live my life how I want to live it. So she, like, decides that she's going to go to a masquerade at this, like, sex party. <laughs> I love it when they decide to break all the rules. Right. So she's like, fine. So she puts on a mask. She goes to this sex party, and she has this, like, bananas mysterious sex time with, who do you think it is, Jen? I I, I bet it's Preston Clark. <laughs> I mean, just, get, just spitballing here. <laughs> Joanna knows the job. So, um, and then... This is it. Like, then it just goes, it spins out from there. And, um, you know, it's Joanna Shoup, so she's going to deliver. You all should just get this book right now. <laughs> I'm like, 100%. I'm going to go read it right now. Um, you can follow Joanna on Facebook at Joanna Shoup Author, on Twitter and Instagram at Joanna Shoup, and uh, The Bride Goes Rogue is available in print, ebook, and audio. Thank you to Avon Books for sponsoring this week's show. So let's talk about readers then, because I think that this is one of the most magnificent things about romance in general. We have such a, a voracious, uh, eager readership who you know want to be a part of our lives in many ways. So can you talk about readers and how the relation, your relationship with readers, how, when did it become clear that there were lots of Judevro readers out there? Well, at first I got a, a lot of mail and going to autographings and people would line up and I did a lot of publicity for years. I, my publisher um, at the time, I promised him I would do five years of publicity, and then it would, and that was it. I did five years and and seven months <laughs> for him, <laughs> and then I stopped. That's it. I wrote books on airplanes, and and that's when I started meeting meeting the readers and and hearing that it meant a lot to them them to, to read about different things and how it affected their lives, their romantic novels. For, so yeah. for me, I'm interested in that change that happened when you wrote, um, I mean, you wrote some contemporaries, you wrote like a time travel novel, A Knight in Shining Armor. What, 
what was it in your process that made you want to sort of change from kind of like historical after historical? Was that something the market asked for or something you you were interested in exploring? It's me. I get bored. I cannot write the same thing over and over again. I try to challenge myself. I get bored very easily. And I try to make, I have to make things complicated to entertain myself. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I write the books because I enjoy them, because I love them, and and it's fun for me. I can't repeat myself. I try not to. I mean, but you were able to keep that through line of the Montgomery's and the Taggart's through a lot of those changes. So was why is that? Why are those families so like at the core of everything you write? Well, it used to be when I wrote my first few books. At the end of them, I would get very depressed. I mean, like go to bed, curl up in fetal position and just cry because my people were no longer there and I loved them and I wanted them to be there. So I came up with this idea that, hey, (laughs) if you write about on family and the same people, then they won't really die at the, so to speak, at the end of a book. It wouldn't finish. You could keep on, keep on with it. And that's what it came because of my depression. That's what happened. (laughs) I love it. So when you, when people ask, you know, what makes a Jude Devereaux novel? Is there something that comes, comes to mind? You know, we talk with, we talked with Jane Ann Krentz a little bit about um, core story. You know, she's so interested in her own, in, you know, the way writers come up with core stories for themselves or the way they write their core stories. Is there a Jude Devereaux core story? You mean that I write something over and over? Yeah, like a like, is there something that just every Judevro book has this has oh. this feel or this theme or this element? You know, is there yeah. something that you just I'm not to do that? I, I read back some, to when internet first started. I remember reading some. This woman said, "There's something." You can always tell a Jude Devereaux novel they have two things in them, and then the screen changed, and I'm like, what, what, what is this? <laughs> all sorts of things, and she says, the heroine short, and there's an old house in it. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so I wrote a book with a six foot heroine <laughs> on, like, on principle, <laughs> but so I funny. still have a passion for old houses. <laughs> It's like a gothic in the making right there. You could write a gothic with a woman running from that house, right? Yeah. Did you, were you, and as you were writing, as you sort of really became, as romance was was blossoming, were you reading other romances at the time? I mean. No, I quit doing that because it influenced me. mm -hmm. Ah. And I I quit. I haven't read a romance in Jesus. 20 some years. Wow. I read, I read in murder mysteries and I watch them on TV. Well, your latest book is a cozy mystery, right? Right. I do. Right. Um, this is thanks to my agent. He's, um, I said, he said, do you think about writing something else? And he's like, vampires and, and zombies. No, no, no. But I could do a murder mystery. It's okay. You know, go ahead. Kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robert's wonderful. You already talked about, like, wanting to change things. Do you think that will be, like, a new direction for you? Will you keep writing cozy mysteries? Or 
I'm doing a murder mystery. Then uh, Robert wants him. He says he wants me to stick with time travel, mm. and which I love. I just finished time travel, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm just now plotting a murder mystery. And he wants me to keep on with the murder mysteries. So I mean, we definitely. It feels like when you talk about time travel in romance, there's yeah. it's hard to talk about it without a knight in shining armor being, yeah. Yeah, you know, the number, the first one. Um, did you, can we talk a little bit about that book, which I think so many people think about as a Jude Devereaux kind Classic. of the one that they remember because it was the first one. Where did that book come from? Uh, I tore my knee cross country skiing and I was in a brace from crotch to ankle for weeks and weeks and weeks and I was in bed and had to rehabilitate and I had thought about this time travel before and I didn't it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in my my mind uh and finally when I was able to get back to writing um I had to do massive research on it just massive interesting yeah why because is it because was well it wasn't your first medieval but well Thinking about the difference, I had read other, uh, I was angry having read other people's time travel novels, and it was always portraying, portraying today as fabulous and the past having nothing Got it. good. In it. And the, the heroine was always lecturing them, you should do this, you should do that. And I didn't want to see that. I wanted to make a blend of it, half and half. Mm-hmm. That there were good things in the past and good things in the in there. And then I got to how do they do things? Like, mm-hmm. how do they bank? Where do they put the money before there were banks? And I was interested in clothing from the skin out, what they wore and, and all that, uh, everything. And what did they do? And I one day I got obsessed with um, how did... They, how did the peasants take care of the babies? You got these toddlers that you have to watch them every minute or they get into the fire. So how did they take care of them? Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much horrified to find that they wrapped them up in really tight swaddling clothes that was so tight they kind of cut off circulation <laughs> and hung them on a peg or from a tree. And I'm like, oh, cool. Right. <laughs> sure. Whoa. Wow. So I wanted to put all this in there mm-hmm. and then react from my heroines. And how do you take a shower? that kind of thing well sure thousand things yeah i wanted to put in there was writing a contemporary heroine in a knight in shining armor what eventually caused you to do a couple of like straight contemporaries like sweet liar well even sweet liar has that cool yeah paranormally yeah that that when the whole plot from that came from an episode of that show, Unsolved Mysteries, mm, that yeah. people were saying in the 1920s, this woman's grandmother got on a train and they never saw her again. What happened to her? And I started thinking, well, if I were writing it, where where would she go? What would happen to her? And went from there. I feel like G- Sweet Liar is one of those books that you hear about a lot from newer romance readers they came to you through sweet liar does do you feel like that's true are there are there books that you feel were are really classic entry points to the jude Devereaux, you know canon yeah i've written it's close to 80 books now and some of them are uh i'm really pleased with and i remember very well and some of them i don't remember at all i i was at a romantic times conference one time and i was standing in line for something or other probably the restroom maybe and there was a <laughs> table full of books and i picked up one and i 
started reading this thing. I said, oh, this is kind of good. I should do this. Who wrote this story? It was me. <laughs> it was a short story, and and I didn't remember it at all. Wow. I didn't remember right, writing wow. it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah, if you have that Other many books. Sweet like Liar, I can remember everything about that. I remember all mm-hmm. of them. But I'm really a focused person on what I'm working on now. What do you think are the books that, that readers talk to you, sort of really resonate with readers? They pretty much agree with me. The ones that I remember and really like. and Yeah. That Kissa, Night and Shine Armor. Yeah. And, yeah. It was just picked up for a movie by a oh, Canadian wow. company. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so fun. That is fun. The movie that uh, I did the plot for was Terra Sheets. Uh, you know, the, the, I did, I wrote a plot for a trilogy. And then this young woman, Terra Sheets, wrote the books. They've been picked up for movies also. Do you feel, Jude, that the world is treats romance differently now than it did when you started? Oh, yeah. It's like, very different. You know, you talk about the that terrible man on the panel. Um, you know, do you feel like you still... Do you feel like the, the perception of the genre from the outside continues to be as negative? Yes, it is. Yeah. I find I don't tell people I've written uh, romantic. Not I tell them I write murder mysteries. I don't understand how people falling in love is less than killing people. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it is, and it's a higher class of killing people. Yeah, when and I- it's interesting because you talk so you what you said earlier about the romance romance really leave keeping the lights on in the 80s and 90s and you know in publishing it feels like the the genre just never never got the respect despite the fact that you you know we've talked about you and I we we emailed a little bit about Sandra Brown I mean Jane Ann Krenz and then of course the other I had no idea you were all called the four J's, but <laughs> I learned that a couple of weeks ago. But um, the Julie Garwood and Joanna Lindsay and Judith McNaught and you all just really blowing the doors off. There were people, other authors, measuring the size of the J's of our name and calling <laughs> publishers and complaining, that J is bigger than the first letter of my name. <laughs> I have a question about the four J's, right? Yeah, because me too. we all, we, Jen and I, cut our teeth in romance on the four J's. And so it, I'm curious, were you, were you, did you know each other? Did you, un, were you, did you, were you, did you know you were all being talked about in the same breath in many ways? I saw Joanna Lindsay once as she was on an elevator and the door opened, it was full. And I said, hi. And she said, hi. <laughs> and that was it. That's a hundred percent. I never met her. Julie Garwood. I've been around her some. She's got so many uh, people in her life that there wasn't kind of room. Judith McNaught, she used to tell people that I got her published, which is kind of true. <laughs> and she and I were friends for a while. Yeah. Can you tell us that story? Linda Merrill was my editor for many years, and she sometimes sent me books and said, what do you think of this? And Judith McNaught, and I said, buy her. Also, the same was Outlander. I said, Oh. She says, everybody's turning this down because of the rape scene in it. And I said, who cares? Buy this book, whatever you have to. She, she bid on it, but didn't get it. Wow. 
Yeah. So you mentioned being at a Romantic Times events. Do you join RWA? Were you a part of like that kind of romance ecosystem at all? Or were you really kind of always alone? Um, yeah, I'm a loner. I stay away from uh, writers. <laughs> fair. It's fine. It's fair. It's, <laughs> it's a fair assessment of us. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to sit around and talk about? I'd rather meet people who, uh, what do you do for a living? How can I use this in a book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a very curious person. And I can't say the writer interests me much. I'm into seriously deeply into photography, and I just practically attack any photographer I meet and say, tell me everything, you know. And you are a world traveler. I travel a lot, a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, we, so you were just, you've, you've just come off a two month cruise. Is that right? Yeah, a little shorty. Yeah. (laughs) A shorty. shorty. January 5th, I get on uh, for a five-month cruise. I go around the world every year. Uh, wow. Months. Months. And the same people go. So I'm with 250 friends, if that makes sense. That's so cool. Do you write while you're on these cruises? I certainly do. I do. Uh, because there's so much space between countries. You have many sea days. And I take my stuff and I go write it. It's gets my mind working it stimulates it um what's going on and everybody on the ship knows what i do and and they respect me and they stay away from me <laughs> when um, you're in that, yeah. i'm good at glaring <laughs> <laughs> i mean so you know you've written 80 books and some you remember and some you don't but is your process mostly the same if you were going to look have you ever gone back and looked at your first books and thought about how much you've changed as a writer or do you like how does how do you view your own career in that way? I never do that, but I I have a few books that I'm proud of and pleased with, and uh, and I like them. I can tell you a funny story on a ship one day that was really funny. Um, I had these two characters who I was I can't remember the name of the book now, and it was supposed to I was doing a sex scene, and they had been is a culmination of many, many, many pages, and they were really finally going to get together. And I knew it well, sex scenes is very much just part of what I do, it's part of my life. I don't think anything about it. It's just it's, so I went up to deck 10. Everybody on the ship respects me, leaves me alone. That day, it was like six women came up to <laughs> sit down across from me and say, Dude, how are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, it's <laughs> like they feel that I was writing this whole, it was, it was, it was a 2,500 word sex scene. <laughs> they felt it and they, they knew what was going on. <laughs> oh, okay, go away, guys. I know you're sensing this. <laughs> Before since, none of the women have ever bothered me or the men. Just that day, something in the ether. That day, they knew. <laughs> when you think about the kind of long range of your career, do you do you feel like there are lessons that other writers, you know, of romance should should learn from you? Uh, what what's what's the trick? What's the trick to eighty books over this many years? A good story. Forget the sex. It's a good story. Sex is just part of it. It's not what the whole thing is. So many new writers think, oh, this is 
is a sex scene and I'm just going to write sex, 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 sex. No, no, no. It's the story is first. Mm -hmm. And it's about love and about getting to know each other and what you like about each other, dislike about each other. That's more important than whose hand goes where. I mean, you've written really everything, right? You've written paranormal and many historicals. And you've also written in a lot of different time periods. So you talked a little bit about research with The Knight in Shining Armor. Do you still find that research is a really important part of your writing process? Yes. I still, my files are huge for everything. Like I'm doing a, a book right now. The first thing you have to do is get a place and I get a house. I like an old house. I have to have the floor plan. I have to have photos of the outside. If somebody gives somebody a ring, I have to have a picture of that so I can describe it. I want what the people look like. I will get their clothes if it's historical. Um, I do a lot of research. I just did one where she goes back to the 1880s and I had to do a lot with that. Now, I used to buy all the books and read all the books and spend my life in the libraries, but now the internet, I can ask it right. anything. But you're still writing longhand, but you're researching on the internet. Yeah. Interesting. Who does your typing now? I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, and that's turned a long way. I had to teach myself how to type. Uh <laughs> computer it was too much trouble to mail it off to somebody and and that's what i had to do for years sure no but i i still handwrite it's easier because i get if i'm typing on a computer and it starts beeping at me or i hit a wrong key and i think no that's not how to explain when i'm handwriting i don't care about mm-hmm. this book. and it's it's always it's pretty easy to read i don't have any problem with it jude where are all your papers i throw them out <laughs> Oh God! The Every archive, the, the archivist to listen just, <laughs> just died out. Exactly. I can't haul that stuff in. It's too much. It's too much stuff. You would need a whole other house. You need a big old house full of rooms to or keep it a, all. A library. You could donate I mean, them to. I think we could probably help find you a library, Jude. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, not interested. No. <laughs> This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Kindle Vella, publishers of Eloisa James's The Seduction. Kindle Vella brings you serial stories related one short episode at a time, available on the web at amazon.com slash Kindle Vella and in the Kindle app. The first few episodes of every story are always free. After that, purchase tokens and redeem them to unlock episodes. The Seduction is a serialized Regency novel. The first season of it, which I think is so clever, features B, who is a wallflowery girl at the mercy of a group of mean girls led by Lady Regina. But because this is romance, romance world, B doesn't get to stay a wallflower. She gets to have a full-on sexy love triangle between a quick-tempered Mr. Peregrine, who is engaged to the head Queen Bee Mean Girl, and the Queen Bee Mean Girl's brother, who just so happens to be a duke. So if you've read Eloisa James' books before, you know where that's going. And the second season features Ella, who is consigned to an attic by her evil uncle. So think like Cinderella retelling. And what's cool about this is each episode of the Vela story ends with a poll for the audience. So you can have a little bit of uh, control over what comes next and a cliffhanger. 
but you don't have to wait six months to find out what happens next. New episodes are released Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You can start listening to The Seduction and learn more about Kindle Vela at amazon.com slash Kindle Vela. Thanks to Kindle Vela for sponsoring the episode. Like, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners really like hearing about people's process as writers. So you're writing in longhand and then typing it. And then, like, the editing process starts, obviously, with that at that level. Yeah. Do you revise as you type? Yeah. Well, first of all, I plot it very thoroughly. Okay. Like, ah, okay. 20-some thousand word, word plot. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. for, and I will have pretty much my scenes... Uh, blanked out. I know what's going to happen, and uh, especially murder mysteries. You've got it's really oh, yeah. serious plotting, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of that. I've probably at least a hundred pages of plot before I start a book. So then I close it up, don't look at it, and then I just uh, and I write it out. And once then I write it, handwriting, and then I type it, and I watch things on TV. While I type, because it's really boring. <laughs> sure. Type, type it. And once it's typed, then usually uh, the next morning I print it out and reread what I did the day before, make corrections in it, editing. I go back over with everything probably six or seven times every page at least. Okay. Mm. So you essentially are your, like kind of doing your own editing before you send it off to your right. publisher. Okay. You're still writing two books a year. Well, I'm kind of slowing down with all the travel and stuff, and uh, the books are, I don't know what's wrong with my mind. They're getting more and more complicated all the time, especially these murder mysteries. I've got one now. I like I like to change uh, this one. I had, I knew who did it, and then I changed to make uh, somebody else do it, and then I had this glow moment. I don't know. Just hit me. <gasps> no, no, no. I know who did it. So I changed three times. Oh, wow. Well, that makes it, that has to make it more fun. Because as a reader, you want to be able to to entertain me. I have to. Exactly. Has writing mysteries, which involve more and a different kind of plotting, changed the way that you write romance? I don't think so. I just did one, I did a time travel. um, And we don't have a title for it yet. My, to my editor, my new editor, uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. one morning. And this whole thing was in my mind, the entire book, everything. That's the dream. I knew it was, <laughs> yes, yes, that doesn't happen very often in my life. And I knew it was in seven parts. Uh, three of them were back in time and four of them were contemporary. I could see all the characters. I knew most of their names. And I just got a, I just grabbed a notebook. I always have notebooks everywhere, pens everywhere. Um I buy lots of pens. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started writing, 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 and then got it down where I could type it and then put it down. And then I wrote a page and uh, sent it off to Robert, my editor, said, what do you think of this? He, he's laughing yeah, because, oh, yeah. <laughs> he says, you can plot so well, let's give you plots to other people to write them, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take any you have, any extras. <laughs> He's on my case now. He wants me to come up with another trilogy. Mm. trilogy Robert, I'm still in the midst of my murder mystery right now. But then I wrote the book. Uh, I, I plotted the whole thing, and then I wrote it. I 
finished the book, uh, Murder Mystery, on April the 7th of this year and started it on April the 8th. I think so. Wow. Wow. Seven days a week. I was obsessed, obsessed with that book. And just Amazing. finished it recently. Yeah. Right before I left uh, in September. I, I'm a little out of order, but I'm still really taken with the idea of you having the lunch meeting where the guy's just drinking and yelling at you. <laughs> I mean, you were an outsider to publishing, but you are so amazingly, you know, great at your job. Do you still feel like you're kind of on the periphery of publishing or do you feel like this is like the e- an ecosystem you figured out? Yeah, no, I haven't figured out. Well, it's all changed now with books not selling as well. and Gone are the days of a thousand bookstores, right? Right, exactly. The ladies in the grocery store. Yeah, those days are gone. Could you, could you talk a little bit about those days, the days of all the bookstores? Because I feel like we often, you know, I I sold my first book just before Borders closed. And so okay. for me, I've sort of grown up in publishing without yeah. many of them. Can you give us a sense of what it was like to, you know, have all these booksellers, all these places where romance was available and your readers, you could find your readers? And your readers could find you. Yeah. It was wonderful to go to these warehouses. I love to go to the warehouses where they move your books around with a forklift. And boxes of your books and see them coming off the uh, conveyor belt and see them being printed. And there's thousands and thousands and yeah. thousands of them. It was wonderful. And you go into a bookstore and, and there's a, uh, it's got a dump, big display with your book there. And now everybody's trying to be, we only do literature kind of thing. They don't much uh, put the bestsellers out there. Uh, it was glorious. You know, one of the questions we've asked everyone um, over the course of the, these these conversations is: Is there anybody who we who we should say the name of? Who you know, an, an editor or an art director or you know, a bookseller? Some anybody is? Does anybody come to mind who you know has been kind of maybe unsung over the years and needs and should should be sung? Well, my editor, Linda Merrill, she was well-known. And Kate Duffy, uh, she passed away. Uh, she was one of the first who really championed romance writers, and she stuck neck out to, to publishers because they didn't want to publish them. Wow, what does that matter? Those silly old women's books. They didn't have any idea that women could be so powerful in buying things yeah. mm, right and putting them in and they started putting the books in the grocery stores and not just uh the bookstores but everywhere um Catherine Falk Catherine Falk did a lot oh uh, yeah mm-hmm. she did a lot for years putting out there Catherine comes up time and again um as somebody who just was a real champion she put on great performances. You go to romance RWA and it was all kind of stiff and boring, but yeah, fun <laughs> at Catherine stuff. Really fun. <laughs> Naked men and, and yeah. We've yeah, we've heard the stories. Yeah, yeah, seen those stories. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. Oh Kathy. Kathy Robin. Oh, Kathy Robin, she gave me my first review. There you go. She remembers everybody's books 
in every plot. I used to follow Kathy around because people would ask me about some book I wrote, and I'm like, I don't even remember that book. <laughs> and I'd turn to Kathy and I'd say, well, what? And she would tell the plot of the book. Wow. And she knew everybody's buddies, but she's, she's really good. I liked her a lot. So, Jude... I'm going to ask the question, I and I, I, you know that it's coming, so I'm asking it. But was there ever was was there ever a moment when you were like, "Oh my God, Jude Devereaux is a thing"? No, never has been, never will. No, other people have done that. Uh, relatives of mm. mine. Uh, what does it feel like to be a superstar? And I said, I had no idea. To me. It's the work. It's the writing. It's always been writing the books. That's what I love. I just love to write books, love to plot. That's why when my publisher wanted me to go on publicity, I'm like, oh, God, please, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah. That I still dread it, and I, I don't do it much anymore. I'm like, no, I don't have to anymore. Do you feel like there is a mark you've made in some way? I don't um, there are probably four or five of my books I'm I'm really pleased with and and really proud of and but not really there's so many others out there. Well, I'll tell you there is a mark that you have made. I would not That's be here sweet. without you. So I'm not the only historical romance novelist writing today who feels that way. So oh, thank you. Here's here's my question. So you you said there are four or five books that you're really pleased with. I. We, you can tell us the names, but also, are they, I'm like, go ahead and tell us, um, are they yeah, the same like ones that, I mean, you mentioned this a little earlier, but, like, let's confirm, are they the same ones that you still hear about from readers? Or yes. is there a book that you feel like, I love this book, and maybe it wasn't the most popular one, but it's the one of my heart? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, they named it the stupidest thing, The Girl from Summerhill. Stupid title. It's a <laughs> rewrite of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> the, the work on that book, it nearly made me crazy. I was down on the floor on my stomach, beating hands and feet against the floor, screaming, Jane Austen, <laughs> why do you have so many characters trying to make it into a contemporary setting? I was, that book made me crazy. And thought I pulled it off and then stupid random house who I got away from that's how I got Robert oh god random house um they put the girl from Summerhill on it I said it's a Jane Austen thing you should have Austen in the title and they would not let me I hmm. gave I sent in like a dozen titles when Austin. was this 2016 2016 oh geez oh god random house that was one <laughs> lowest point in my career, Random House. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a book you love that you think is maybe underappreciated because yeah. people didn't know what it was. Yeah. Still don't understand. Yeah. And then you said, you know, Sweet Liar, uh, Night in Shining Armor. Are there are others that the readers keep coming for that you hear about all the time. The newest ones. Uh, people are liking my uh, murder mysteries because they're mm -hmm. a continuation. Yeah. Uh, of them. They're liking those a lot. There are so many books of yours that will live on forever. I was like, Twin of Ice, Jude. Oh, right. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> Listen, if we're going to go real real deep cut there, deep cuts. there right. it is. 
twin of us for me. Now that came from a ghost story. Um, That came happened. I uh, was driving up to Colorado. I drive a lot. I got to go a 22 hour trip starting tomorrow. And I was going to Colorado and there was a, uh, it says Ludlow monument. And I thought, well, what's that? So I put off in Ludlow monument and I had this moment. I was, I fell down on my knees and I started crying and crying. I had no idea what was there. I was just bawling my heart out. And, um, and finally I get up and wipe away my tears and go, I've got to go find what happened at this monument. Uh, I didn't know. And it turned out that these people were killed in this uh, coal mining thing. And I thought, why in the world was this ghostly thing? Why was I crying at this monument? Mm. And I felt like they want me to write about it. That was my thought. So I researched it. And um, uh, President uh, Ford wrote his uh, master's or doctorate thesis in a book. Oh, wow. And that was my best research in uh, Mother Earth News, the magazine. <laughs> they helped me a lot with it. They were great. Um, and wrote Twin of Ice and Twin of Fire about the the mining disaster and the uh, what happened to that. Yeah. Kane Taggart. Fine. Yeah. It's fine, I everybody. Have I love Amy. <laughs> I like I like just read his name on the screen and I just like it all rushed back to me and I was like, I gotta reread this book. I haven't read it in I haven't read it in so long. It's gonna happen this afternoon. It's gonna I'm gonna treat myself. One of my favorite men ever. He was so real. Sexy. So yeah, yeah. So strong and knew what he wanted and I mean, also, can we just have a moment about how basically Jude Devereaux in just installed all my twin all the buttons. Bu- oh yeah, like, Sarah loves a the, twin. I love a twin, and that whole concept of you know, no one can tell that they're they'll tell them apart, but they're true love, they're fated mate. Yeah. Please, yeah. young me was like, well, that's obviously fact. That's science, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. I like so, it the women are saying, yes, but he's so ugly. He doesn't look like you at all. At all. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> yes. So- Oh, hardwired in there. Yeah, there was a uh, was heroin named Kale, um, Kale, and she had one of the twins, and he had a son, a young boy, and, she, and the boys loved the boys loved her. Yeah, I can't remember what that book was, but I like that book a lot. There, one of my best sex scenes I ever wrote was in there when she became like an all encompassing angel kind of thing. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure I read it and I'm going to go yeah. find it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for all of the twin <laughs> buttons. <laughs> um, so here is a, here's a, a, the question that we, we end every, every conversation with, which is if you could choose one, just one of the books that you've written to be the book that everyone forever knows of as Jude Devereaux. Which would it be? Kissa. Kissa. That's a good choice. Yeah. Sure. Night in Shining Armor. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. Favorite. I I felt like I pulled off what I wanted to in it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show the two sides of medieval times versus now, that they're good and bad about each one of them and the research of it, um, seeing the different things of it and going back and forth. I was doing, I was only going to have her go back in time. And then I realized, Oh my God, I've got this other half yeah. of the book 
what am I going to do? You got to bring him forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Douglas. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Because. And I wrote a thing in there about it was about alcoholism. When I told Linda Marin, I wrote, <laughs> called her and said, guess what? I'm going to write a book about alcoholic alcoholism. <laughs> Please. I said, but nobody drinks in it. Nobody's going to take a drink in it. And you won't know it's about alcoholism. It's about addictive personalities and how you enable other people. And she says, oh, God, dude, this sounds awful. <laughs> I said, I know, no. And Linda always said she never listened to what authors say. She just listens to their enthusiasm. And I was yeah. out of my mind with enthusiasm. So she says, go for it. Um, Bless then, the editors. <laughs> that, was the book. that was the first book in the romance world that came out in hardback. And I spent three days in New York talking to my push publisher at that time, begging him, please, I think you should go in hardback. Please, 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 please. And I was, my throat was raw uh, by the third day, the morning of the third day. And I just sat there and I said, are you going to do it in hardback or not? I could hardly speak. And I was just in tears because I talked so much. He says, yeah, okay. And that was it. He said, and then he got, when it went on New York Times list for it, he got all these flowers. And I wrote him said, those flowers. Those flowers blown forward them over. <laughs> I wrote the book and I got you to do it in hardback. I didn't realize that that was the first one, but I'm not surprised. I mean, and of course that makes sense because I think about that book. I mean, of course that's the book that changed, that made everybody kind of come to Judevro in a lot of ways because... They found it. Well, the other ones, other hardbacks would have been like book club editions, right? Is that right? Yeah, but this was out on the stands in hardback. Yeah, it had not been done before. And there was a, yeah. And the Publishers Weekly was like, oh, my God, romance novel in hardback. What's next, you know? Lowest what will these world do domination next? is what's next. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you'll like it, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Jude, this was really a joy. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. Um, we have been speaking your name for three years. Yes. So. <laughs> um, always, always in good ways, always saying good things. And it really means the world that you came in and talked with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was amazing. I tried to keep my cool, but you're it's a little wild to be like, I talked to Jude Devereaux today. I was trying to explain to my mother. I was like, listen, Mom, I've interviewed Jude Devereaux today. You have to go home. It's a big thing. That's <laughs> funny. I'm so ordinary. I'm- ordinary people can have extraordinary lives, Jude. Just accept it. <laughs> That was really, I mean, every one of them is so different and so cool. I know people listened to the beginning where we talked about how amazing it was, but I really have to tell you, talking to your childhood, the people, I mean, I, I, I think I read every Jude Devereaux book there was. 
she was my she was my person. You said sweet liar on this, and like sweet liar is like hardwired into me. I can still see myself clutching. It came out in hardcover, and the cover was bright, like it was just this beautiful purple. And I can still see myself, like yeah, on a holding couch, it. holding it, feeling joy <laughs> at like having that new Jude Devereaux book. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's the, y'all, you know, I know we, we get, we get emails and messages from you and you all know, you know how we feel about romance novels and you know how we feel about these trailblazer interviews and like, man, everyone just feels right. Like a gift. One of the things that we have noticed over and over again is the real power of Kathleen E. Woodywiss. Yes. I mean, so when Jude tells that story and she says, like, I read that book and it was huge and I read it in one night. And then the next morning I was like, that was a garbage book. And then I immediately (laughs) picked it up and read it again. And I read it twice in two days. Like, what? Who hasn't been there? Uh, This, But we've heard this from other people over and over again that, like, there was something in the water of Flame in the Flower. And yeah, it's interesting too, because I feel like it's such a, it's a text that's so hard to read now, right? Well, it's interesting because you say it's so hard to read, but I've recently reread it. And yes, it's hard to read in like an intellectual sense. Like it's right. It, you stutter your way through it in a lot of ways because you're, you kept being pulled out by like how old it is and how regressive it is and the politics of it and all of that. But man, that book moves fast. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's shocking, what's interesting, and I, I think you know, stay tuned, everyone, because Jen and I have a have some ideas about how we can sort of talk about Kathleen E. Widowis without being able to talk to Kathleen E. Widowis. Right. But um, I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me is how many people of all different ages, like yes. locations, places in the in the genre came in some way through Woodowis. And, you know, the thing that I think about a lot is it made me think is what are the big, like, on-ramps to romance, right? And I think there's going to be a huge wave of people for whom it was Fifty Shades. And it I looks like now there's going to be a huge wave of people for whom it was TikTok, right? And it's like, you know, welcome. Yeah, <laughs> but what's, it's... Oh, so, this is a separate thing, but so last weekend I was in Texas for my nephew's graduation, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in I was in Barnes and Noble, which is the I was in the university bookstore, which is run by Barnes and Noble, right? And there was a giant in this university bookstore. It was like, you know, maybe a thousand square feet of gear, yeah, like a handful of textbooks, and then a giant book dump that said your reads on TikTok. Or books you've heard of on TikTok. And it was interesting because Jude talked about this in her, she, when we asked her to talk about um, what it was like during the age of bookstores when, you know, it wasn't just like Barnes and Noble and a couple of indies hanging around and Amazon online. It was like every, there were bookstores everywhere. And she talked about how like these big books, they were in every store on book dumps 
you know, really holding space and holding court over the rest of publishing. And, um, and I thought that was really fascinating. Also, like, what a badass she is. Yes. Yes. I, the story of her meeting at lunch with the head of Pocket <laughs> yes. to say, you have to buy out all my contracts. Yeah. Um, and him just, like, berating her and then finally yeah, doing what she asked. I mean, I think that this was the first... Um, this was the first Trailblazer interview that where I feel like the misogyny of the early days was really clear. I I found myself thinking a lot about it in terms of the Supreme Court. And, you know, like a lot of threads going around where people were like, you don't understand. I, if you were a woman before 1974, you couldn't get a credit card in your own name. Mm-hmm. Right. And I found myself thinking a lot about, th- right, like these authors in the 70s and early 80s who, you know, we were alive, we were kids, <laughs> but, you know, to have th- that be so close, you know, to have this, th- th- I, the disdain, right? It's really, it's hard not to... It's hard not to think about, right? Like, these are people who have really experienced publishing. And I think similarly for certain, like, you know, Beverly Jenkins and and Sandra Brown. But, like, really, I think, like you with Jude Devereux, I was really struck by what that must have been like to sit in these meetings with these men. Well, it's also interesting because she is the first person who we've spoken to who really couldn't put her finger on a community, right? Like she, she talks about how she was such a loner. Like when she was writing, like, you know, I was so surprised to hear her say like the four J's didn't know each other. They weren't friends, Um, which is, you know, frankly, not the case these days. Like the, the, the big names in the genre all know each other. And, you know, in many ways, like are a community among themselves. And so I think it was really interesting to hear her sort of, Talk about coming up from New Mexico. I mean, that story about how, you know, she got summoned to New York by the publisher and had to, and was like, I don't have enough time to make my clothes to come to New York. And she was like, buy clothes, Jude. You have Jude Devereaux (laughs) money now. You have Jude Devereaux money now. (laughs) And um, I think, yeah. But I mean, I think also like there was no structure for them to know each other. No. Right? I mean, there was no, this predates RWA. I mean, yes. it didn't eventually, obviously she was writing well into the nineties, you know, if she's writing still today, but like she was writing juggernaut books, like as a juggernaut, like in the age of juggernaut historicals, right. like, right. but, and, and RWA existed, RT existed, et cetera. But it really does feel like you were on your own. Yeah. If you were, as she described herself, like just a weird kid from, from yeah, you know, New Mexico, I, and I think that's the part. It's like you know we call this trailblazers, right? And it's different people have been blazing the trail in different ways. But to think about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like really having no, there is no structure for you. This is there's no one who wants you know you to you're this young upstart and a woman, right? You're mm-hmm. selling books like nobody's business, but this is not the business they want. Everybody thinks it's shameful, right? And I think that's really interesting to hear about her 
you know, you use the word savvy at some point, like her ability to like make a business for herself out of this. Yes. Right. Such, such like so savvy about it and savvy in a way like in innate savviness, right? Yes. Like, because there were no rules, you know, she, t- we asked her point blank, like, yeah, what, what did you know? Like, how, how did this work? And she was like, I walked into a bookstore and picked the books and sent my manuscript to the publisher that had the yes. prettiest covers. Like, because there was no other way. Nobody had right. ever done this before. Right. I mean, it really is amazing. She also, I want to sort of, I want to lay out, um, there are some important names that she said over the course of the book, of, of the conversation. Linda Marrow comes up all the time mm-hmm. as um, an, an editorial director and ultimately, a, you know, vice president at Random House. Um, she talks about Kate Duffy, who we, comes up all the time as like one of the, one of the, you know, editors who was really editing at the heart of romance during all this time. You know, again, really just it feels like there was as much as when we ask, we've asked all of these people, like, did you, did you know, right? Like, did it feel like there was something huge happening? Um, And often they say no. Often they say like, it didn't, it was just a thing that we were doing and, and it was hard to kind of see the forest for the trees. Um, But it's very clear that there were so many of these people who were really doing this work. Yeah. Um, and really working to make something huge. The more we hear these stories, right? People who are who really are like, yeah, I, I read I read The Flame and the Flower and thought I could do this too. Right? Like it just seems like so it like literally visionary in a way that, that and then to like you know have decades of writing where you're, you know, producing, you know, some of the most beloved historicals of all time, Um, you know, uh, contemporaries, time travel, like you name it, she can do it. And that is the part that, like, I remember when we were recording, I think it was Twin of Ice and Twin of Fire. I like literally was like, oh my God, I just felt like it all came back to me in a rush. And like you, I can like imagine myself like holding these books in my hands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love talking to her about just that, like twins, right? Like there, I think there are these moments, you know, I think I've talked about it on the podcast, but like, you know, when you read The Flame and the Flower, Brandon, who is the hero, his muscle twitches in his jaw on like page 12 and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. There it is. Like, there is the twitch the that launched a thousand twitch. twitches, right? <laughs> and I think, like, Jude Devereaux, it, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who launched twins the way she did. Right, and, right. And I, I know it sounds silly to, like, the outside world, right? There are these, there are these little moments in his, in romance that are, they are all nods to... These women who came before us. Yeah. Yeah. And it it was really remarkable to talk to her. And I also loved what I thought was really interesting about her conversation. You know, we try in these kind of wrap-ups, the post-games, yeah. to, you know, contextualize these conversations among all the other trailblazers. And I think that what Jude really did was she—there's something very— um, 
there's something very straightforward about her in a way that like a lot of the other conversations have been less straightforward in a lot of ways. And I, I mean, I'm not judging one versus the other. I'm saying like, but with her, it feels so much about like, it is the words on the page, you know, yes. like she told, I think more writing stories yeah. than anybody else has. And, um, and I just think for her, it's really about the work. Yeah. And again, this is, no, like no judgment here, right? Like people evolve as writers and that is amazing and great too, right? So we heard about Sandra Brown's turn to kind of thrillers and, you know, but Jude Devereaux really stayed true to romance, I think, right? And, and Beverly Jenkins has really stayed true to romance. So I'm also really interested in kind of like, what is it that, you know, some people are just like, yeah, no, this is it for me. And some people are like, the way I'm growing and changing is just taking me someplace different. And I think that that is, you know, her writing stories are really, it was really interesting to me about changing publishers and changing, you know, like kind of what was next for her was in those areas, but the books themselves, she stayed really true to like the romance, like kind of close in the romance world, I guess. Yeah. It was great. It was really, I mean, I'm so, and I really started feeling, I really am feeling like, I mean, I feel really proud of, of this. Like I, I feel like when we are having these people come and talk about their lives, like, it is yeah. a really important these are important. It's yeah. important that we we name some names. Yeah. And you know, we still have some really great people that we've recorded with coming this through the summer. I know, still so. coming. Still coming. And more more emailing with more every day, which is really exciting. So um I think that what people will start to see over the course of the summer is um more people who um are making, are doing the work uh, in different ways, yeah. which is very cool. It is really cool. But and yeah. also some, I mean, like, I think what's, and what's to come includes names you've absolutely heard before, names you maybe have never heard before. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited. So as always, everyone, thank you for listening. This is Faded Mates. You can find us at fadedmates.net or on Instagram at fadedmatespod or on Twitter at fadedmates. If you have somebody who you think should be on the Trailblazer episodes, please let us know. You can reach us in all those different ways. Um, Thank you again to our advertisers this week. And uh, we hope you're reading something great.